Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this podcast, I look at the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the order that they were published in. And we're coming to the end of a a relatively short series on the works Dick published in 1956 with a really nice and relevant uh, and prophetic, in some ways, story, Pay for the Printer. Um, If, you know, basically... The printer discussed in the story is a type of 3D printer. Um, it's it's an organic version of it, but essentially it's the same technology as is being developed now. And there's very interesting um, developments in the world of 3D printing and in medicine, in in manufacturing, and in really point of purchase uh, production. Ideas. Now, I know we're still many years away on some of these issues, on some of these um, visions, but you know we're getting closer and closer to the point where we start we can start to imagine a truly decentralized production system in which things are produced in people's homes, you know, right right as they need them, rather than in factories. In a sense, Dick here has the answer to the autofac, which he's been so worried about he you know he he has so much anguish over automation and what it means for work and human meaning and family and he's got story after story of how automation and systems and production and and auto the auto fact and these things disrupt the family disrupt communities disrupt life in various ways destroy the ecology and then he writes this story pay for the printer which has a model that deals with a lot of those issues by basically putting production in the home and decentralizing the production. Um, now, he's not, in the end, optimistic in this story, but I, I think we can be a little bit more optimistic than, than than Dick was. Okay, this story, Pay for the Printer, was published in Satellite Science Fiction in October of, of 1956. So you can find it in Second Variety and other classic stories by Philip K. Dick, the third volume of The Collected Stories. So um, I'll just briefly go over the plot first, as always. So Alan Ferguson and Charlotte are driving through this desolate landscape filled with trash. So we have, um, I guess, a consumer dystopia, I guess, a a trashy dystopia, something Dick presents a lot in in, in his stories in in different ways, like especially in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, where the earth itself is is a big garbage bin. But anyway, so that's that's the kind of the, the first image we get in the story. They take comfort in the fact that they'll soon arrive at Charlotte's apartment. She can clean the ash that's kind of covered her car, and they, you know, again, a sign that something really horrible has happened to this world, and there's just all this dust and sediment and, and stuff on the on the on the car itself. And they, they hope they can enjoy a bottle of, of wine. Unfortunately, the quality of the product, and it's called Lord. Calvert. That's I think it's the wine. The product, the quality is going down. Now, as they're still driving through, Charlotte is disgusted to see a like a cellar dog kill a blind and deformed mock rabbit. And these are kind of 
mutated animals that emerged after in the context of the nuclear war. So now we get to learn a little bit more about what's happened to this world. It's been devastated by by a nuclear war. Right. So the devastated landscape, the mutant animals, the dust, the the just the barren landscape, that's all been produced by a war. So very familiar ground for anyone who's been reading Dick's stories the way we have been um, from the beginning. And then they discuss the printer. Now, the printer is, is always called the Biltong, the Biltong, B-I-L-T-O-N-G. And they're supposed to last 150 years, but their particular Biltong is getting sicker and producing inferior products. And that's how you know this product's getting sick. And as I said, it's, it's organic. It's not a mechanical device. But, you know, the idea that, that a technology that takes production and and the need for creativity out of our hands will make us dumber i think is something that that we should think about and something that might be on dick's mind here now here it's just literally this living thing this living entity is getting sick and the way it shows it's getting sick is the products it produces are are inferior and charlotte shows here alan how the biltong couldn't even print a tiny Swiss watch, which is something they used to be able to be quite good at, apparently. Now, where did these come from? Well, the Biltongs are from a different planet. They're from Centaurus, and so they're an imported technology. They arrived after the war, and they were attracted to the radiation from the bombs. So um, they're, they're an imported technology in the sense, but they weren't delivered by another species. They were, um, they kind of came like the drifters in the world Jones made. They, they just were coming through Earth and they dropped there. Here, specifically, they were attracted to all the radiation coming from Earth. And they survived by being domesticated. Now, this is something we actually see in nature quite commonly. Like um, some of the most successful species, if you look at just their, their breath, their reach, their population, are those that are domesticated. Now, the cost to individual animals is quite high, you know, like cows, pigs, chickens, they, they live very short lives, they suffer a lot of misery, but one result is like their extinction is less likely because humans depend on them and rely on them so much. So the biltongs became domesticated and survived by duplicating what the humans brought them. And in doing so, they became protected by humans. Humans had an incentive to keep them around and, and keep them alive. And so it was kind of a mutually beneficial relationship and both sides sort of domesticated each other. However, everything in this home that they've entered, Charlotte and Alan entered, is, is really beginning to decay. And the thing is, the Biltong used to be able to replace things rapidly and fix them, but it's now not, no longer able to really do that quite well. So everything is sort of decaying around them. So we really have a story of entropy. In a sense, we, we, we see it most predominantly with Ubik, of course. But a lot of other stories have hints of this concern that the kind of things decay over time. And so here it's the products that the Biltong makes just aren't up to the same quality and they start to fall apart. They're not as good of replica and they're not as good of production anymore. And so this creates this broadening signs of decay all over. Entire buildings are falling apart. Newspapers degrade into jumbles of meaningless words even. So the old things that Biltong's printed are also falling apart. New copies are failures. So it's, you know, you know what the story almost reminds me of is that uh, the preserving machine story, which was really early in Dick's career where you had this um, music transmuted into the DNA of, of different animals as a preservative device. But over, over a while, they started to mutate and evolve. And by the end, when you tried to restore the music from the DNA of these animals, it's all corrupted and, and mixed up. 
here you have that same kind of idea of decay and, and how things uh, just simply fall apart. Charlotte tells Ferguson that that's the way these are and that their community may need to to move in if their built on can handle the extra people, that is. But as they try to enter, Charlotte's apartment building begins to fall apart entirely. And after escaping the collapsing building, Charlotte asks him about their built home. And they assume it had died. They already know that they don't reproduce. The biltongs don't reproduce. Their eggs are dried up. The dogs feast on them. The biltongs themselves are too exhausted from overuse to defend their eggs. So by being domesticated, they've even lost the ability to reproduce themselves. Right, and there's just really the vicious imagery of the dogs feasting on, on the biltongs. Um, pretty horrible stuff. Um, it's kind of the cost of domestication. You know, I want to see this as a story about 3D printing, but, you know, coming back on it, you know, there's a whole narrative here of, of, the, of the costs of becoming domesticated. And the, the image of the biltong just too exhausted to even defend their eggs from this, these dogs is, you know, it's... And domesticated animals, of course, no longer can reproduce on their own terms, right? They're artificially inseminated. They, you know, most male horses, for instance, are are gelded right away. So, you know, natural reproduction is taken away from them. Now, when they finally look upon the biltong, they find that it's clearly dying of old age and exhaustion and just from overuse. Desperate to salvage its ability, because... They rely on it for their survival as well. Um, that's where their their food, their homes, everything around them comes from. That's how they've been reclaiming this planet uh, from the devastation of war. Not through work, as we see, and to serve the master. Not through community and, and, and again, labor, as we see in surface raid. But this reclamation is... Or, or, um, kind of cheap on the cheap because you have these biltongs doing it for them so they're really desperate to save its abilities and some of the community try to see you know what to copy they're testing it and one man daw starts with a wooden drinking cup charlotte scolds him telling him that he could print that himself essentially make that himself dawes says that he did make it himself ferguson is amazed that he was able to make a cup without a biltong and that's really the point Dick wants to say about this is that when we give production to the machine, in this case, it's an organic entity, but it has, it's the, as a technology, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. When we give that knowledge to it, we lose the ability to make it ourselves. And that's why Ferguson is amazed he's able to even make this cup without the help of, of the biltong. Um, so Ferguson finally agrees to help Charlotte to let her into the community. And the way they do that is by marrying um, and his community still has the working built home. As Charlotte leaves for the Pittsburgh settlement, an angry mob destroys the dying built home um, out of some kind of rage over its failure to provide what they've become dependent on and used on receiving. And it, it's quite a vicious moment at the end, kind of paralleling the dogs eating the eggs of the built home. In the end, the humans who are so angry that it's not doing its job, kill it and slaughter it and, and ruin it. Um, Again, I think this, this story can work as a metaphor for domesticization of animals and, and how we treat animal life. At least the animal li life we have essentially created, right? Because uh, all the farm animals are products of biotechnology by now, and they had been actually for, for thousands of years.
genetically manipulated by humans. That's the whole process of becoming domestic. It's a process of genetic engineering. Except maybe with dogs. Maybe, you know, I read somewhere that dogs may have domesticated themselves really by following human groups of hunters. But um, anyways, Dawes and Ferguson discuss the aftermath of the death of the settlement's biltong, and Dawes explains that they cannot immediately begin building complex structures. They'll need to start with simple things and re-educate themselves step by step. Essentially, the, the golden age of the biltong will end, and humans will have to relearn this knowledge, this technology. Printing will be replaced with building, essentially. And he started it. The process has begun with this wooden cup. Um, now, this is the second wooden cup that's been tied to this theme of technology and innovation and human freedom. The other place we see a cup is in Souvenir. And in Souvenir, the cup is the one last relic of a civilization that has resisted incorporation into the technological center. There were a frontier culture that, that remained isolated and they had their own way of doing things. And that society was completely destroyed in the course of the story. But one cup survived as kind of a, an artifact of, of this lost culture. And here, a wooden cup is the symbol of, of the beginning of the creative process again and the actual process of building again and, and humans learning to do these things for themselves again. And then this, I think this also parallels what you see in Galactic Pot Healer, where the final scene where the main character is trying to make a, a pot uh, out of clay. Not quite a wooden cup, but in the same ballpark. So pay for printer sits really well next to to serve the master. They were published in the same year and they were written actually a few months from each other. And there's other stories written in the same period of time. We know when Dick submitted these to his, his agent. So we know this is around the time he wrote Foster Your Dead and Sales Pitch, which I already did episodes on. So if you take these together, to serve a master, to pay for printer, foster your den sales pitch. We have actually a pretty good set of stories. And there's a few others that you could almost fit into here, into this group. A nice set of stories that speak to this question of automation and work and its relationship with human freedom. Consumerism is a big part of it. Um, and it all comes down to automation and the relationship between the machine and, and how free humans can be. And how much autonomy we have. With Foster Your Dead and Sales Pitch, it's more on the consumer side of things, but in To Serve the Master and To Pay the Printer, it's more on the side of production. Um, so you really kind of have to analyze both sides. In To Pay the Printer, we have a clear case of humanity actually exploiting the technology. And by making it a life form, I actually find it quite brilliant because by making it a life form, we are forced almost to sympathize with, with it and we see it's tragic on both sides. Not only that humans have become dumb and incapable because of this technology, they're doing so in a way that's really cruel to uh, another life form. That's actually treated with indifference. Um, it, it is just like any other technology. It, it's not treated like a, like a pet. It's not treated with any care. And in, in the era of disposable consumer technologies, you know, we, we we're used to that, and it's not surprising we would treat this, or the humans here treat these biltongs with such disrespect. But I think the more tragic side of it is the long-term costs for human beings, particularly in the fact that humans lose the ability to do simple things on their own. All right, the, and 
this future may be very much like the people in, that are talked about in the serve of the master, the leisurists, right? Um, and then you had these huge corporations who were able to come back with the work ethic and say, no, we need to labor um, and we need to build. We can't be, we can't let robots do it all for us. Now, this issue of, I mean, I, I think there are ex many examples that we can think of where technology is, in a sense, making us dumber. And I, I, I use that word a bit cautiously, but, you know, I'm of a spell check generation and I'm, my writing is fraught with typos and misspellings and, you know, certainly the older generation, the generation before me, you know, spells better than this generation in general. Arithmetic, right? I can't use a slide rule, right? But my father learned to use a slide rule. Um, so there's a lot of these these technologies that get lost. You know, may, build, fixing your own car, that's another example of a technology that kind of gets that gets lost. There was a time most people knew how to do basic car repair. So now I, as, as anyone who listens to this knows, I'm really a fan of automation and I'm kind of a believer in the necessity of automation to liberate us from odious, dangerous, unpleasant, and exploitative labor, right? The benefit to reducing bad work, let's call it, you know, vastly outweighs any of the potential risks. Not, not that these risks don't exist. I don't think Dick's wrong that there are dangers of giving too much authority to AI or there's not dangers in not knowing how to do things. But I mean, scientific management, the cat was already out of the bag with scientific management. Let me say it that way. You know, the minute Frederick Winslow Taylor figured out that you could break up the production, making the production of a wheel into a hundred different parts and give it to a hundred different workers, each of whom only has to do one thing all day. I mean, you've already at that point ruined the importance of skill and craft. And so that, that's, uh, that's gone already. So it's automating that work is actually going to free us from the factory and free us to actually go back and learn things because that, Let's take a furniture factory, right? The guy who whose job it is is to screw in something at a furniture factory or to paint the varnish on or whatever his job is. And that's his only job. He does it all day for 50 years. Once he doesn't have to do that anymore, right? He goes to back home. He can start a workbench and he can work on making furniture himself because he likes doing that, but maybe. Or he can do models or he can write or whatever else he wants to do. And he can learn to do that well. So I, I actually think Dick is a little bit confused here in the danger of of automation. And I think it comes out of a bit of a fetish he still has for for work. And, you know, I like where he is with crafting. He does this in Galactic Pot Hill. He, he focuses on crafting and, and I'm with him on that. But, you know, I, I still don't really fully understand his opposition to to the the robot factory or here the, the 3d printer in the house i do think that at the end of the day putting an end to odious labor will be remembered as one of the great technologies that liberates humanity like ending slavery or the birth control pill or, or penicillin one of the great innovations one of the great achievements of technology um 
All right. An interesting aspect of the pay for the printer is how people respond to the Biltong's failure. These are people who have been exploiting this technology for years or this life form for years. It helped them survive. It helped them remake their society. And the victim of this is the Biltong on both sides. First it's domesticated, then it's reproductive. Freedoms are taken away. It's an immigrant. It's forced to, I mean, it's an immigrant that's forced to perform the most odious labor in exchange for living in a new society and be, you know, and is mistreated on top of all of that. I mean, if you want to take it as a metaphor for the immigrant laborer, you can do that as well. The mob assaults this overworked and suffering Biltong at the very end simply because it couldn't do its job anymore. Certainly we treat immigrant labor um, almost just as odiously. And not just the United States, many societies do that. And then at the end of the day, although worked to death for years, this immigrant is blamed for all the ills that have befallen that society. Um, now, then the final level of interpretation we can give to this story, I suppose, would be uh, the consumer good themselves. Why are they decaying? Why are they? You can understand the thing stops working, but Dick doesn't just have it. The Biltong failed to make stuff anymore. It actually has it make it worse. And it has these things decay and degrade around the characters. So that the world's kind of falling apart. I think he liked this image of everything around these characters decaying because he used it a lot, especially in, in the novel Ubik. Um, but as the Biltong starts to produce more and more copies of existing consumer goods, the watches or a food item or whatever, the copies become more crude and ugly over time, right? So the the watch that's talked about after several copies becomes misshapen metal. And does that happen in our society? Like we have one country has a, a decent product made by skilled workers. And then, you know, a cheaper version is made in some low cost production zone with cheaper materials, cheaper labor, and it's marketed to lower income people, but it's, it's, it's crappy, right? It's degraded in a way. And it's really much like the degradation we see in Ubik. And maybe it's the same with popular culture too. Like um, the, the first sitcoms were really brilliant, right? And every once in a while, there's been a really great one. But most sitcoms are, are not that memorable, right? Or reality TV shows, right? Some of the first reality TV shows had a lot of innovation and creativity. And then they slowly get degraded over time. Um, you know, when we think of like first, second, third generation bands in any movement, like musical movement, it's the same thing, right? That the, you know, you got the innovators of the of the new trend, then you have the people who, who I guess uh, are the culmination of those innovations, and then in the third generation, you have like the copiers and the people trying to make just get rich and. They don't really have the intellectual passion to carry on the tradition. And that's when it starts to get bad, right? So there's, the more something gets copied, the, the more horrible it gets. And I, I think that can be applied broadly across consumption and consumer goods and, and popular culture and, and, you know, many, you know, many things, films, right? Someday superhero films are going to be really bad again. They're good now, but someday if they keep, that's all they make they are going to get degraded. There's going to be a lot of bad ones that are trying to make a buck and the few good ones maybe get lost in the, in the wash. I don't know. We hope not, but 
you know, that seems to be what's happened in culture. So that does it. I, so if you have opinions about the 3D printer, I'd like to hear about them. It's something I'm interested in. And I haven't really gotten into it myself yet. Um, every time I look, it's like there's new 3D printers on the market. So I'm kind of hesitant to get involved until I see where it's going. Uh, but it's something I'm interested in in exploring and thinking about. One of my f um, favorite comic book series, Transmetropolitan, uh, which I actually wrote an article about a few years ago, has a thing called the Maker, and that actually takes garbage um, and repurposes it into other things. So it's kind of like a Star Trek replicator, but it uses garbage rather than just energy. And that's an interesting technology that allows people to to kind of make what it, whatever you want and it has the potential to alleviate poverty and, and need and inequality, but it doesn't do that. And I think one of the fascinating things about Transmetropolitan is the failure of that culture to use its technology to liberate people from from poverty and 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 not in refusing not to end inequality when the technological means of doing it are there. Now, Dick's not really talking about inequality here, but he is dealing with a lot of interesting issues. So I think you can look at this as a question of how we treat our animals. I mean, this could even be a story that is about vegetarianism, right? And you just you just replace the biltong as the cow or the chicken or the pig or whatever other animal that we, we use, we abuse, we and then slaughter indifferently for our own purposes. So lots of different ways to to read this really nice story. It's it's one of his great ones, and it fits nicely with other stories he was writing around this time. So with that, I'll end. This ends my my series on the stories of 1956, and this will be followed up by my my next series will be obviously 1957. So I'll just keep pushing through Philip K. Dick in the order of publication. That year, he only published two stories. So that, I won't have much to say about that, but I do think we have two novels. Yeah, I found my sheet. So looking ahead to 1957, we have The Cosmic Puppets, a, a relatively short novel. I'll, I'll probably do that one in four, maybe five episodes. Then we have Eye in the Sky, a little bit longer episode, uh, so I might take a little bit more time on that. The Unreconstructed M is a short story uh, about crime and policing, and it's a pretty long one, so... That might be a significant episode. And then Misadjustment, which is a story I don't have that much memory of. Um, so that that will be the 1957 uh, series, those four works. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting back into a novel. I, I've, I've actually I'm finding myself having a, a lot of fun with the novels. I had a lot of fun with The Man Who Japed. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. If you have any of your own comments on these, please leave them below. Um, but if not, I'll be back with my first part of probably what will be a four-part series on the cosmic my tired thoughts once That living dies, that living dies, that living dies.